Well, if you have your Bible, and I pray that you do, turn with me to Joshua, Joshua chapter 24. The book of Joshua is found right after your favorite book of Deuteronomy. (laughs) It's a tough crowd this morning. (laughs) Joshua chapter 24 this morning in the precious Word of God. And I want us to draw our attention, I want us to zero in on a couple of verses And then we'll look at uh, a greater portion of the text in Joshua 24, but I want us to start just by looking at a couple of verses, and then um, we will pray that the Lord will bless uh, our time in His Word this morning. Look with me, beginning in verse number 14. In verse number 14, Joshua 24, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth, And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the god of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, notice what Joshua says, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but as for me and my house, he said, we will serve the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that you'll speak to us today. God, that the eyes of our understanding might be open, that you might be able to enlighten us concerning what we need today. Lord, I pray that you will bless now as only you can. I pray that if there's somebody in this room, somebody that is watching and worshiping online, somebody who's trying to make a connection with you, Lord, for the very first time, Lord, I pray that you would speak to their heart, God, through your word and through the wooing of the Holy Spirit, that people's lives might be eternally changed today. God, for those who are here that are believers, those who are watching that are believers, God, I pray that we would ourselves desire to make a choice, the choice that brings you the most honor, the choice that brings you the most glory. God will be careful to give you the praise for it all. In Jesus' precious name we do pray, and for his sake, amen and amen. This morning I want to speak to you simply on the title, Your Choice 2020. And no, I'm not going to hold a debate on the stage here today, but Truly, it is a season in which every one of you, and some of you already indicated that you have already made a choice in that regard. But I want to speak to you about making a choice straight from God's Word. You know, it was said in a novel that I read years ago, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. Oddly enough, these words from the beginning of Charles Dickens' novel, A Tale of Two Cities, remind me of the times in which we are now living. As we started 2020, I remember as a staff, we felt like, in many ways, it was the best of times. Aside from the normal and heightened rancor, disgusting rancor of politics, It seemed to be the best of times. We had so many plans. We sat down as a staff, and you should have seen, I have a picture on my phone of the board that we made of all the plans and all the opportunities that we were looking forward to opening up for Battlefield Baptist Church. As a country, economy was rolling along, unemployment was down, new trade deals, peace negotiations, and on and on. You can think about all the things that were going on. It seemed like maybe it was going to be the best of times. And then without warning, it became the worst of times. Coronavirus made its way to our shores and all around the world, impacting even families, yes, families right here at Battlefield Baptist Church. Mandates, restrictions, shutdowns, and even fear-mongering became the stated, and I hate this phrase, new normal. If the new normal doesn't bring God honor and glory, we should do away with it. Then not long after COVID's arrival, race relations took one of the biggest steps backwards in 50 years in this country. 
without warning, many of the planned protests, it's crazy, I'm, I'm reading my own notes, turned into rioting, looting, and even the loss of light seemingly overnight. Law enforcement officers, of which my brother is one, called me and he said, I didn't realize today I became a racist. Law enforcement officers became enemies of the state. And most people, not all, but most people, to be honest, as we look around, doesn't it seem like most people have lost their mind? It's crazy. And by the way, this is just the introduction. <laughs> Sorry. You know I love you, right? I do love you. But even my notes sometimes get me agitated. <laughs> In the midst of these turbulent times, instead of turning to God for wisdom, do you know what most people, and like I said, not all, but most, most have turned away from God and turned to themselves. But remember, I shared a few weeks ago that our wisdom with God is foolishness. God has a way. His thoughts and His ways are much higher than our thoughts and our ways. But who is to blame? Well, I'm sure we could come up with several ideas about who or what we could blame, and honestly, some have. But remember, I shared with you last week, in last week's message, if you were here or you were watching, and by the way, if you weren't, I encourage you to go to our website and check out last week's message and the week before. Uh, I pray that there'll be a blessing to you. But last week, I shared with you that we get today what we tolerated yesterday. Some of you were paying attention. Truly, it's the law of sowing and reaping. Mom and dad, have you ever reaped what you've sown? Young person, have you ever reaped what you've sown? Senior saint, I know the senior saints, we, he left us out. <laughs> we must be above it all. No senior saint, we're reaping today what was tolerated yesterday. As Christ followers, I would suggest... Here's a, good, here's a good model. I put it down in my notes. I would suggest that as Christ followers, we quit doing this. And I'm going to point this way. This is what we like to do as Christ followers. We point the finger at everyone else except for ourselves. I think what we need to do is take responsibility for the role that we play. And I don't want to do a disservice to Scripture, but in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 17, Peter actually shares a principle that states that judgment must begin... At where? The house of God. Now look back with me in Joshua chapter 24 because as we look at this passage, what we find as we consider the nation of Israel, I would assert that it was the best of times. It was the best of times. They had defeated their enemies. They had claimed the promised land. Each tribe was uh, receiving their inheritance. They were ready to enjoy life, if you please. It was truly a time of hope. It was a time of prosperity and God's blessings. But I would also suggest to you that not only was it the best of times, but I would suggest for the nation of Israel, then in Joshua 24, it was the worst of times potentially. You see, because there was a spiritual danger in Joshua 24 that they would forget about where they came from. You know, it's okay to look back and realize that we're just nothing but a bunch of sinners saved by grace. We need to remember the rock from which we were hewn and the pit from which we were digged. We need to remember that it was God who pulled us up out of that pit, out of that miry clay and set our feet on the rock and established our going. We need to remember those things. And if we would just take time to remember where we came from, I think we would do less of this and more of this. So good to hear Linda back in the house. You see, they had a danger of forgetting where they came from. They had a danger of forgetting, quite frankly, how they had gotten to where they were. You remember, they were out in the wilderness for a long time. In disbelief, in their wilderness wanderings, there was a danger that they would forget what the Lord had done for them, and there was a danger that they would adopt the idolatrous behaviors of yesteryear, and they would become complacent once again, similar to what we see in the good old land of America. It's so important 
it's so important that we never forget what our great God has done for us. In our text, in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua, by the way, at the end of this, you know Joshua dies, right? He's about to die. And he gathers all the nations of Israel together, all the tribes, and he gives them this message. And by the way, the message that he gives them is not his message. Much like today, the message that he gives them is God's message. In his message, Joshua shares God's desire for the people to dedicate themselves completely to him and his work. Today, as you and I have gathered to worship the great I Am, we sang that song, I believe, last Sunday, and to hear what he has to say to his church, truly. We have experienced, to be honest, I believe that everyone in this room has experienced Maybe you don't want to say 2020 at the beginning was, but we have experienced the best of times and the worst of times in our life. Would you agree? And yet today, I want to tell you this. From the authority of God's Word, every one of you, me included, everyone that's watching online, you will make a choice today what you will do with Jesus. You will, you will, you've come in, you may have sung, you may not have sung, and you may listen to this message, you may turn me off, you may uh, go back to doing whatever at home, you're saying, listen, I got it on, but I'm not listening. You will make a choice, and I will make a choice what we will do with the Lord Jesus Christ in the coming days. We will make a choice as to who we worship and who we serve. And it's a lot, you know, it's uh, like I said on Wednesday night, those were here, we were talking, and I'll reference this in a minute, we were talking about the power of speech. You know what they say, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. In chapter 3 of the book of the Revelation, in fact, if you have your Bible, just flip. It's real easy to find the book of the Revelation. It's all the way at the back. If, you've, if you get to the glossary or the index, you've gone too far. Turn back to the book of the Revelation. That's an easy one to get people to turn to. It's all the way in the back. Look at chapter 3. Because in chapter 3 of the book of the Revelation, we find a church quite a quite honestly, excuse me, that was making the Lord sick to his stomach. They were making the Lord sick to his stomach, and, and I think it would be profitable for us to understand, why was God so sick of this church? Notice, you see, the reality I put down in my notes, it seems like they had, uh, they had everything that the world could offer, but they lacked the presence and the power and the glory of God. And notice, draw your attention to verse number 15. Verse number 15 in Revelation chapter 3. Beginning in verse number 15, Jesus says to them, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. But look at verse 17. He goes on. He says, because thou sayest, Here's why you're making me sick, church of Laodicea. He says, I'm about ready to vomit you out of my mouth because here's the reason why. You're saying that you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That sounds like the United States of America. We better wake up. We have a whole lot of needs. But he says, you say I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, but you knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor, and blind, and naked. Notice what Jesus says. He says, I'm going to give you some good counsel here. Does anybody need counsel this morning? The Bible says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Jesus says, I'm going to give you some wisdom here. He says, here's what you need. I counsel you to buy of me. Instead of buying everything that the world has to offer, he says, I need you to take time to focus on me, and here's what I want you to buy. I want you to buy some gold that's tried in the fire, that you may be rich. Not, not physically, not materially rich, but that you would be spiritually rich. Notice he goes on. He says, I also want you to buy um, some white raiment that you might be clothed because I just got done telling you you're naked and blind and wretched and miserable and poor. He said, this is what you need to buy. And watch, he says this, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear he says this, he says, anoint the eyes with eye salve that you actually might be able to see. And notice verse number 19, I love this verse. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore, and what's the word? Be zealous therefore and repent. 
And then the verse part of verse number 17, it's the power of our speech all over. Wednesday night I was telling the folks that were here for Bible study, by the way, I encourage you to join us. It's an amazing time on Wednesday night. We sing old songs and we worship God and we get into God's Word and we study the Scriptures out. We're currently in a series on choosing wisdom, choosing wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And so Wednesday night we were talking about the power of speech. And it's very similar here. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. And then he goes on, he says, because thou sayest, because of what you're saying about yourself, you think you're something when you're really nothing. Hello, local New Testament church. We got to be careful of saying that we think we're somebody when we're really nothing. We're just sinners saved by grace. We're just dirty, filthy, rotten sinners. Isn't that encouraging? Hey, what'd y'all you, learn today at Battlefield? Oh, our pastor said we were dirty, rotten, filthy sinners. Well, that was an encouraging message. Praise the Lord. The beautiful part about it is that that's what we were, not what we are. We're the king's kids. I get excited. Oh, notice. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, is what Jesus said to the Pharisees of old. You see, just as he did with the church of Laodicea here, and just as was being done with the children of Israel, all the way back in Joshua chapter 24, I believe that today God is trying to get our attention. He's saying, wake up. It's time to quit playing around. It's time to quit playing church. It's time to be that light that is set on a hill, a city on a hill, that men might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's time to wake up. But I digress. Can you guys, I know I didn't ask for this, and I ask a lot, isn't our media team great? Can you guys show verse number 19 again of that Revelation 3 text? Because you see, maybe the reason, Battlefield, maybe the reason, Virginia, maybe the reason, United States of America, that you and I are being rebuked and chastened is because the Lord is simply saying enough is enough. It's time to repent. I don't like the word repent. By the word, by the way, the word repent just means change of mind. In other words, get over yourself, change your mind about your own sinfulness. I am the Lord God, I am on the throne, and you are not. That's all it means. It, it, it's just, hey, I was living and loving life, and oh, I have a change of mind. I'm going to walk with the Lord now. That's all it is. That's it. It's just a change of mind. Flip over because I think it would be good for you to see it. Look at Psalm 33. In Psalm 33, and we're going to take a left turn for just a second, and then we're going to come back to Joshua 24. So hold your spot in Joshua chapter 24. In Psalm, in fact, let me get over there with you. In Psalm 23. I said Psalm 33, excuse me, not 23. That's a good passage, though, too. Just not where we're going today. Psalm, Psalm 33. This, this, look, drop down, because verse number 12 begins by reminding us of another important principle. Notice, and I'm not going to take it out of context, but I want us to draw something from it. Notice it says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. In the original Hebrew tongue, the word rendered here as blessed simply means happy. Happiness. That's what it actually means in the Hebrew tongue for all our Hebrew scholars. But if you continue on, the phrase, whose God is the Lord, points us to an inevitable conclusion. Blessed or happy or happiness comes to the nation whose God is the Lord. And that inevitable conclusion is that the nation which worships the self-existent and eternal Yahweh will be blessed 
because it is under his divine protection. Now, as I said, this was written then to the Jewish nation of Israel. And even if you go over to 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter's talking about a holy nation. And he's talking about the displaced Jews at that time. But truly, this idea, this principle speaks to Jew and Gentile alike. Christ followers. But folks, when I think about how far away from God we have come, when I think about how far away from God that we have come as a nation, it is so sad. I look around, and it's as if we're setting ourselves up for a fall. We're blind and naked and miserable and poor and wretched, just like the church of Laodicea. By the way, when you set yourself up for a fall, do you know one of the biggest reasons that causes us to fall? It's called pride. Pride cometh before a fall. And I believe we're there. We're living in a land filled with pride. And just in case you're confused this morning, or maybe you have forgotten, or maybe as a young person here, you've been under the teaching of teachers who have not shared this with you, I want to remind you of some things about this nation in which you live. I want you to understand that this nation was once a godly nation. And, and what we've got is all over. We look all over and there's historical, what they call them. This is a fancy name for somebody who's trying to change the history. It's called a historical revisionist. And historical revisionists continue to deny, to deny and obscure the facts of this nation's founding. So let me clear a few things up for you. Our nation was founded on godly Christian principles, period. End of statement. Based on a belief in God. Many of this nation's forefathers were in fact Christians, not just a bunch of deists like the world will tell you. The world says, oh, it wasn't founded on God. It was just a bunch of deists getting together. That's a lie. By the way, don't trust me. Trust history. Go back and do your own research. If you've forgotten, if you're confused, or maybe you never learned it in school, it would be good for you to do that. So let me share some examples. All the way back to good old 1620, in the very first governing document of the Plymouth Colony, the Mayflower Compact in 1620, here's what they said. In the name of God, amen. That's how they started. Hello, in the name of God, amen, period. That's how they started their document. Now let's continue. It says, having undertaken, well, why did they undertake this journey? It's right there in their own document, folks, for the glory of God and the advancement of the what? They're not going to tell you that today, but I got news for you. It's still there. Okay? Undertake. Man, I'm getting worked up before I get worked up. Having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of good old Virginia's for lovers. Do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of who? And one another covenant and combined ourselves together. In 1643 it continues. Oh, just but 23 years later, the Constitution of the New England Confederation said these words, Whereas we all come into these parts of America, watch it, with one and the same end and aim, namely, what was their goal? To advance what? The kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel, not the government. By the way, those unalienable or inalienable, I don't care which word you want to use or get misquoted, those rights came from God, not the government. Man, worked up. Later in 1681, in case that's not enough for you, William Penn said, if we aren't governed by God, we will be ruled by tyrants. We better get back to being ruled by God. Samuel Adams, the man, not the beer. Samuel Adams in 1752 said the rights of the colonists, what does he say they're called? As what? 
Christians may be best understood. Here's what he says. He says the rights, I love it, the rights of the colonists as Christians may be best understood by reading and carefully studying the institution of the great lawgiver and the head of the Christian church which are to be found clearly written and promulgated in where? John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Oh, we got to get back, folks. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Oh, I'm not finished. In 1787, <laughs> I feel like a history teacher. In 1787, Ben Franklin declared, oh, Ooh, I know some of you are like, oh, Ben Franklin was a deist. Well, just watch what he said. I believe in one God, the creator of the universe. During the Constitutional Convention, here's what he continued to proclaim. He said, I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this, that God governs in the affairs of men. Folks, if you know what a deist is, you know that a deist doesn't believe that God governs in the affairs of men, but he's removed himself from what takes place. Uh, he goes on by saying and asking this. I wonder where he got this. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice... Is it profitable, probable, excuse me, that an empire can rise without his aid? Where do you think he got that about Sparrow? I got news for you. He got it right here. Oh, I'm not done. Patrick Henry. I lived in Henry County, Virginia. Finally, it was Patrick Henry who said, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to know what, you want to know what made my stomach turn? You want to know what makes my stomach turn? Is that we had two presidential debates we hear debates with senators. We hear debates with local officials. And not one question about God or His Word. Not one question about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Turns my stomach. You think it turns my stomach? How much more do you think it turns God's stomach? Today, we continue to be told by these historical revisionists that these men of old advocated for a strict adherence to the separation of God or church and state and that the church should have nothing to do with government and vice versa. But folks, that is not the truth. And some of you got real silent. You're, not, you're going to say amen. Well, I got news for you. That's okay. This nation in which we call home has a rich spiritual heritage and do your own homework. The idea, the phrase, the idea of separation of church and state is not even in the Constitution. In fact, it is simply a concept. It is simply a concept in the Establishment Clause, clause of the First Amendment. You want to know how I learned that? It's called good old homework. We're walking around in a time when nobody wants to talk about God, nobody wants to talk about that Jesus said He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. We want to be open-armed. We want to love everybody, and I love everybody but I'm not going to back down and not share the truth with people that I love. In fact, if I was, in fact, there was a, a Penn and Teller video. Uh, isn't that the guy's name? Penn and Teller, those magicians. Uh, there's a video about him, and, and had I thought about it, I could have shared it with you. This guy actually shares a video where he says, if you see, it's like either a train or a truck, a Mack truck coming for somebody, and like you're out in the road, Mike, and I see a truck about to maul you over, if I don't warn you, how dare me? What, what a shame. And he goes on, and he's an atheist, and he says, but the same is true of Christians who, if they know and they believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and yet they don't warn their neighbor, they don't warn their friend, they don't warn their co-worker, they don't warn whoever, their teacher, their student, that Jesus Christ loved them and came and died for them, how hateful is that? Guys, Unless you be fooled, 
by the title of this message, or by all that historical information that I just shared with you, today's message is not about this nation. We need to pray for this nation. This message is not about who you should vote for or who you have voted for or who you're going to vote for in nine short days. I told you two weeks ago that you better start thinking about voting some biblical values. Period. Biblical values don't have a name on it. It's the one who stands for biblical values and the one who doesn't. This message is meant to be a reminder that you and I, much like last week, we were talking about, who were we talking about last week? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This message is meant to challenge each and every one of us, just like them, that we have to ask ourselves, we have to answer for ourselves who we are going to worship, who are we going to serve. And only you can choose that. Now look back at Joshua 24. In Joshua chapter 24, there's a history lesson there. Now, I just shared a bunch of historical information about this nation. But in Joshua chapter 24, there's a bunch of spiritual history that Joshua, God actually shares through Joshua, if you please. Look at verse number 3 and following. And what you're going to find is in 11 verses, you're going to see God saying, I, 17 separate times. And what is God saying I for? Notice in verse number 3, I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him through all the land of Canaan. Verse 4, And I gave unto Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. I gave unto Esau Mount Seir. Verse 5, I sent Moses and also Aaron. I plagued Egypt. Verse 5, Also, I brought, I brought you out. Verse 6, I brought your fathers out of Egypt. Drop down to the last part of verse 7. He says, and, and your eyes have seen what I have done. He's reminding them all of the things that he has done for the children of Israel. Verse 8, I brought you into the land of the Amorites. I gave them under your hand. I destroyed them before you. Verse 10, uh, I would not hearken unto Balaam, therefore he blessed you still. So I delivered you out of his hand. This is God saying this. Verse number 11, he talks about... He references the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and so many sites I can't even think of them all. And this is what he says in verse number 11. I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, verse 12. Verse 13, I have given you a land for which you did not labor. It's not your land, it's my land. And he said, I gave it to you. He said, you did not labor, and I gave you cities which you built not. And you dwell in them. And I gave you of the vineyards and of the oil olive yards, which you planted not, do you eat? He said, all the things that you got, let me remind you, I'm the one who gave them to you. All the wars, all the battles that you had to face, I'm the one that gave you the strength to win it. Everything that you have came down from the Father of lights. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, James 1.17 tells us. In other words, God was saying, I've been with you every step of the way through the best of times and through the worst of times. It's been my power, my presence, and my provision that you have enjoyed. In other words, God was saying, I've been so good to you. I've been so good to you. Even before Joshua makes his statements in verse 14 and 15, God's saying, I've done all this for you. I love you. I've done this for you. Then in verse number 14, look, because what I think we find is not a request or a suggestion. I believe what we find is Joshua boldly proclaiming what they should do in verse number 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods, little g, which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Oh, my friends, if we want the Lord to work in our family, if we want Him to work in our church, in our community, in our country, it all begins by fearing the Lord. Joshua, number one, he says, fear the Lord. In Psalm 33 and verse number 8, the Bible says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world, of which that includes you and me, stand in awe of Him. That's quite frankly what it means, and I've shared this over and over with you, to fear the Lord is not to run. There are passages that talk about that, but to fear the Lord is to stand in awe of His greatness, to stand in reverence and respect of who He is and what He has done. And this is what Joshua is saying. In Psalm 34, verse number 9, the Bible says, Oh, fear the Lord, ye saints. 
for there is no want to them that fear Him. Since He is the Creator God, since He is worthy, Joshua said, fear Him. Second thing he says is serve Him. In verse 14 he says, serve Him in sincerity and truth. Now that word serve comes from the primitive root word, and it literally means this, to work in any sense, or and by implication, to serve till or to be enslaved to. So in other words, we're to fulfill the role of a servant by walking in obedience to God. This is what Joshua is saying. He goes on and he says that their service should be done in sincerity and truth. So what does he mean when he says that their work should be done, their service should be done in sincerity and truth? To put it bluntly, he says, don't be fake. Quit being fake. Quit serving God out of a service that's hypocritical. Serve God in sincerity and truth. Be, in other words, I put down in my notes, be exactly who you say you are. Right? Don't tell somebody that you're a Christian and then you don't act like it. I put in my notes, if we're ambassadors for Christ, then why not act like it? Second, by the way, that's biblical. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 says, so now then you are ambassadors for Christ, right? So if we're his ambassadors, if we're his mouthpiece, if you please, if we're to be his hands, his heart, his feet, and his mouthpiece, then we need to act like we are his ambassadors. Do you know that there was an ambassador to Germany that got a lot of heat for the things that he was saying? Right? He was, he was supporting and whether you love him, hate him, or indifferent, he was supporting our current president's policies in Germany. And he got a lot of heat for standing up for the president's policies in Germany. But you want to know something? He did exactly what he was told to do. He was the ambassador to Germany. He's not the president. He's not the congressman. He's not the senator. He is an ambassador speaking on behalf of this country. And guess who's in charge? He speaks for the president. And so, oh, it got real quiet. We don't like that. Guess what? Jesus says, you're my ambassadors. I don't care if you like the message. You're to go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. And, that, and, and you know what? That rubs against the grain, doesn't it? Like, how dare Jesus tell me to say those things? How dare Jesus encourage me to be a witness into all the world in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the othermost part of the world? How dare him? Oh, really? Really? You see, that's the world in which we live that bristles at truth. Oh, I don't like that message, and I just might go find a, a church that doesn't talk about that much. Well, you can do that, but it doesn't change God's word one bit. It don't change it one bit. Guess what? I grew up going to the Methodist church. It didn't change it at one bit. Isn't that funny? I'm a son of a Methodist minister pastoring a Baptist church. I always, I always think God must have a sense of humor. <laughs> Joshua said, yeah, he said, fear him. And he said, serve him. Don't serve him with hypocrisy. Joshua said, put away the gods. Little g. Number three, put away the gods. Little g, which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. It's astonishing to me that after all that God had done for them, all the miracles he had performed, all that they had witnessed, that Joshua would actually still need to tell the children of Israel to put away the gods. And yet I understand. We need to get rid of all the things and idols in our lives that you and I have given approval to. All the idols and all the things that we have placed before and ahead of our walk with the Lord. In Matthew chapter 6, and I know it's dealing with a principle concerning serving God and, and the idea of serving, serving mammon, but in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 24, there's an important principle. When Jesus taught, He said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Oh, it's not feasible to serve two masters. It's inconceivable to do it. That's like me saying, uh, I was going to obey her and then obey somebody else. No, 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 no. She who must be obeyed in my house carries a big stick. Now, I'm joking, of course. She carries a little stick. <laughs> little stick. Little stick. 
God has so blessed me with a wonderful wife. Folks, until we have a proper fear of the Lord, until we determine to serve the Lord, there is no way in God's green earth that we are going to put away the gods, those false idols, those things that you know are running rampant in your world. Someone has put it this way by saying a person committed to idol worship will never worship the true God and a true Christian that's committed to Jesus Christ will never worship an idol. In the last part of verse number 14, Joshua simply restates his call for folks to serve the Lord. He says there, he says, and serve ye the Lord, him and him only, no one else is what Joshua is saying. And in verse number 15, look, he basically says, it's your choice. That's why I got the title, Your Choice 2020. Guess what? Next year, if I preach this message, it's Your Choice 2021. It's your choice right now what you're going to do with the Lord. He says here in verse 15, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose. Make a choice. Make a decision. This day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. By the way, that phrase, if it seem evil to you, look at that in verse 15. It means something that is troublesome, something that's irksome, something that uh, is a burden or a weariness to you. And so Joshua says, hey, if it's too burdensome for you, if it's an irksome thing, if it's a, it's a problem for you, you still got to make a choice. Through God, Joshua is saying, it's time to make a decision. In the last part of verse 15, this iconic verse, Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Folks, as believers, you and I cannot have one foot in the church, one foot in God's Word, and one foot in the world. We have to make a choice. The same spiritual disease that Joshua was trying to prevent is the same spiritual disease that was taking place in the church of Laodicea when Jesus spoke to them. It's also the exact same disease that Elijah was dealing with. In 1 Kings 18.21, notice what Elijah says. He says, "Come." He came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? He says in verse number 21, If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow him. And all the people answered him, not a word. Not a word. That's what happens in 2020 when you say, your choice, 2020. Most people don't answer a word. Sadly, it's the same sickness that's plaguing our church and our country today, which is why it's time to choose whether you and I are going to fear the Lord, whether we're going to serve the Lord, whether we're going to put away the gods those little G-gods that are in our life. It's time to choose whether we're going to stand up for Jesus or whether we're going to sit silently by while the world, the flesh, and the devil seek to attack and remove all of our religious liberties. By the way, can I just say something as lovingly? I feel like, you know, I have a folder on my desktop. It's called Pre-Election Series. I didn't know what to call this series. But it's a shame that it seems like every four years we have to hit ourselves over the head to remind ourselves of God's goodness in our life. It's a shame that we have to talk about the fact that our religious liberties are being stripped away from us left and right, and we're not paying attention until it's like, oh, 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 oh it's panic time. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? God's still in control. He's still on His throne. He's not abdicated His throne to anybody. But it's just, I just put it on, it's crazy that it seems like every four years we run through the same cycle. Let's make a choice once and for all to stand up for Jesus. When I put that in my notes, I started singing in my office, and some of you may and may not know it. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Do you know what? The world says that song is inflammatory because you mentioned soldiers. I'm not joking. That song's on the hit list. They're going to get rid of that song. No more standing up for Jesus. You're, remember, I told you, if you believe God is who he is, you believe in a marriage between one man and a woman. By the way, that doesn't mean you have to hate 
people who don't hold that opinion, you can still share the truth and the love of Jesus with them. But hold on, if you hold to those opinions, remember what I said last week, you're going to be diagnosed. The American Journal of Psy Psychiatry said you're going to be diagnosed with an intolerant personality disorder. You're now mentally ill because you believe what God's Word has to say. Hey, don't take my word. You go do your research. I shared it with you last week out of their own journal. We better wake up. Now more than ever, really now more than ever, we need to be men and women who will commit and settle it in our hearts that Jesus Christ is still on His throne. His word is still uh, supreme and His will is to have the preeminence in every one of our lives. Oh, my friends, we need some Joshua's. We need some Elijah's. We need some Daniel's. We need some Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's. Those who are willing to get in the fire pit for Jesus. We need some Ruth's. We need some Christians who, like the disciples of old, as I shared last week, said they're going to obey God rather than men. We need some women like Timothy's grandma, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. We need some people who are going to stand up and say, as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. And by the way, as for my family, my family's going to serve the Lord. Sir, I got some good news and bad news for you today. The ladies are like, oh yeah, hit them. Hit them hard. I want you to give some, I want you to give some news to my husband, or my boyfriend, my fiance. I want you to tell him straight. <laughs> I could also find some things for the ladies too, but sir, you're to be the spiritual leader of your home. As for me and my house, Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. That doesn't mean the women are supposed to be subservient. Women are counterparts, companions. Help me is what God calls a woman to come right alongside the man and say, yes, 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 yes. We will serve the Lord. Yes, yes, we can do it. You're doing a good job, honey. Keep on telling us about Jesus. Keep on praying for us. Keep on sharing God's word for us. Listen, it's a team effort. You know, you know what they say, teamwork makes the dream work. Marriage is a ministry. It takes work. I shared that with Sean and his dear fiance yesterday in our first setting of premarital counseling. That was the first thing I shared. I said, I got news for you. Marriage is a ministry. It takes work. You better saddle up and get ready. Don't do it! No, no, I didn't say that. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Unbelievers, if you're here today, and you say, you know, I heard a lot about Jesus, but I'm just, I, I, haven't, I haven't taken that step. You know, I, I heard about how he loves me. I heard about how he died on the cross for my sins, but I've, I've not trusted him as my Savior yet. If you're watching or you're in this room and you're, you're an unbeliever at this very second, you know in your heart of hearts whether you've trusted Christ as your Savior. But if you're an unbeliever, can I just say this? You will never fear Him. You will never serve Him. You will never put away the gods that are in your life until you know Him. Until you know Him. He wants to be your Savior. He wants to be your Lord. But you have to trust Him. You have to, there's a recognition that comes through repentance. Remember, repentance is just a change of one's mind. I was talking with somebody else. It's like this, it's a faith and repentance. It's like two sides of the same coin, really. On one side, now I know Ernie's thinking, I got a question I'm going to send him later. It's two sides of the same coin. You see, I have to have a change of mind before I, by faith, trust Christ, right? If I don't think there's a problem with my sin, that I don't need a Savior. That's what repentance is all about, changing one's mind, understanding that they need a Savior. But let me speak also to those who are here that say they're believers. Just as an unbeliever cannot fear, serve, put away gods until they know Him, believers will not. If you're a believer here, you will not fear Him. You will not serve Him unless you put away those gods, little g, that are running rampant in our lives. It just won't happen. 
Because see, when you walk out of this door, even though maybe you've been encouraged or convicted a little bit, if you don't make a choice right now that says, "I, Lord, I'm going to recommit my life. I'm committing my life today to fearing you. I'm going to commit myself to serving you. I'm going to commit myself to getting rid of these, these little gods. And Lord, I need your strength. I need your wisdom to do that. If you don't make that choice right now before you walk out of these doors, I got news for you. And for some of you, it's already started. You're starting to think about your food that you're going to eat. The devil has a way of getting your mind right off of God's message. And so I beg you, if you're a believer, make that commitment. Recommit if you need to. Say, God, I, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't regarded you the way I should. I need, to, I need to walk in reverence and awe and fear of you, Lord. God, I haven't served you with all of my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind and all my strength. God, I've got some little G-gods that are running rampant in my life. Lord, I need your help. Help me to get rid of those things. Because listen, if you want God to be that vessel in which he can take pleasure of flowing through, he likes to use clean vessels, by the way. To put it bluntly, he likes clean PVC pipe. The conduit must be clean, so to speak. He doesn't like flowing through junk. Because when you're his kid, you're not junk. You're a treasure to him. Oh, you're valuable to him. So, I beg you, unbeliever, trust Christ. If you're a believer, recommit. Recommit to fearing him, to serving him, and getting rid of the gods that are in your life today. Psalm 33, 12, I close again. It simply said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Your choice, 2020. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.